Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is Louise Hill, co-founder and chief operating officer at GoHenry. Louise, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Looking forward to talking to you. Excellent. It's great to have you here. And just to get started, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to our listeners and with a bit about your role and what you're up to at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. GoHenry is a prepaid debit card and a financial education app designed for kids aged 6 to 18 with a very simple mission to make every kid mark with money. We launched back in 2012. I can't quite believe it's 10 years ago, but we launched back in 2012 in the UK and we provide tools to help kids learn about money. So by earning, saving, spending responsibly, giving and more, all with parental oversight. We have well over 2 million customers across the UK and the US and more recently Europe as we acquired a French company called PixPay in the summer, which means we're now also in France, Spain, and about to launch in Italy. And so alongside the debit card, the sort of practical tool, last year we launched Money Missions, which are in-app gamified money lessons designed to educate kids about money and promote better financial literacy. They're designed in a way that kids consume information these days and cover a full curriculum in line with the national education guidelines. So that's who we are. Excellent. Sounds great. And we'll be taking a look at the importance of financial literacy and fostering that financial education for children and young adults a bit more later in the show. And we will, of course, be talking a little bit more about GoHenry as well and the expansion plans that you've got uh, in motion over there. So first, as always, those are news in number segments. This is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So, Louise, what have you brought along for us today? Well, I chose an article that was published by your team on the 10th of October, so just last month. And the title, uh, lots of alliteration here, family-focused financial wellness app Freeman gears up for launch. And I thought that was interesting because it's a financial wellness app. It's designed for young parents and children. And so it's in a very similar space to the space we operate in. And when I first suggested it, there were a couple of people in the company who kind of said, why would you mention that? But for me, fantastic to see new players coming into the space. And I really do mean that. When we launched, I, I mentioned earlier that was back in 2012, we were the first in the space. We created the category and that was quite tough. We had in that nanosecond of somebody's attention that you have, we had to explain what we were and why it was a good idea and why they needed us. And now what I'm delighted to see is just how much that space has evolved and how players are coming into the market, validating the market, expanding the market. And when I look across Europe, the US and beyond, UK obviously included, there are many more players. Financial inclusion of children and young people, financial education of children and young people, which is the whole reason I started Go Henry is quite clearly a current topic and one that's getting more and more mileage. And that can only mean it's reaching more people and that can only be good. It's interesting that you said that. I mean, I was going to ask initially what your overriding feeling was when you see new competitors entering into the space. But um, it's interesting. I mean, you've mentioned there about how the space has changed over the last 10 years. I guess seeing new companies 
into the space as well. How has that appetite among customers changed then? And do you think that financial literacy levels have improved since you started, like initially back in, in 2012? I think they're improving. I mean, one of the things we monitor very closely, as you'd expect us to, is what impact our customers think Go Henry has had on their family and on children in terms of their confidence with money. And we know that 92% of Go Henry parents say their kids are more money aware, more money confident since they started using Go Henry. And so I really, to the point I made earlier, the more kids, young people who are getting the chance to experience a tool, a service that allows them to learn about money, the better. I think that's great. Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. So following on nicely from our news in numbers, we're going to be diving more into financial literacy as our main topic for today. So we've obviously discussed a little bit about this initially, Louise, but how is the financial literacy gap now for children and teenagers at the moment? And just how important is ensuring that solid foundation at a young age? It's a huge gap. I said earlier that the whole reason for launching Go Henry was realizing that there was nothing there that I could use to help teach my kids about how to use money. And that has only become more important in the last 10 years. It's an increasingly digital world. That sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it is. There are more financial options being created for individuals to navigate than ever before. You think about the, even in the last few years, the rise of buy now, pay later opportunities, but shopping online, accessing music, gaming, entertainment, all the way through to, for as people become a little bit older, managing income and investments, it's all online. The options available to people are more and more complex. And if we're not teaching kids at an early age, in an age-appropriate way, how to be confident in that world and how to use those tools to empower them and not the very inverse of that, then we're missing something fundamental. It's financial literacy. I've often talked about money skills as being a life skill. I quite often liken it to swimming. You don't just throw your kids in the deep end of a pool without teaching them a little bit about swimming, without perhaps giving them some buoyancy aids or a swimming ring or something like that. And we shouldn't be doing the same with kids in terms of money. We shouldn't just expect them to emerge as an 18-year-old into a world of very easily accessible credit, complex financial services and products without teaching them, without giving them some tools and some ways to learn about how to do that and how to be smart with doing that, be empowered and in control. So money management, it's a key life skill. I guess the challenge is it's not as exciting to a child as the idea of swimming. So you have to find a way to make them want to get into that pool, to continue the analogy. And Really, that was one of the reasons why we developed money missions, our little money lessons, to engage them as they were using GoHenry, as they were using their card, as they were navigating their way through the app about money basics, earning, saving, investing, responsible spending, credit, 
money safety that and so much more it isn't these are not boring lessons they're games chatbots bite-sized videos they earn points certificates they move up levels through the money missions and it's education in a way that kids take in information these days and it means we know that we're able to teach them a lot about money just as they're going about their normal everyday life Excellent, excellent. I mean, with the wealth of information out there at the moment that you've mentioned as well, we've been seeing a lot more the influence of social media there and influencers has become a, a term that's been bandied around quite a bit now in, in recent times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult is it then for children and teenagers to find that reliable and useful information? And should schools, I guess, be doing more to teach this as well? I wish I could have a £10 note for every time I've been asked the question of whether schools should be doing more since we started the company. I was a governor at our local secondary school for eight years, and I'm hugely aware of just how much a school is expected to teach kids. It's no longer just the academic subjects. There there are a whole load of life skills that are now built into that as well. And yes, of course, school has a role. I think it's interesting to look in the UK, or particularly in Scotland has some different rules, but in in the UK in 2014, financial education was built into the core curriculum, but it was only for state and non-academy schools. And since then, the drive for all schools to become an academy has meant that this is no longer a mandatory part of the curriculum for the vast majority of secondary schools in the UK. and. It means there are pockets of excellence where there are schools doing some fantastic work with their kids and teaching them what they need to know. And there are other areas where it's really not being covered at all. It tends to be covered in the PSHE sessions, which means it's the class tutor rather than a specialist teacher. Elements are covered in maths, but it isn't a mandatory subject, which I find completely bizarre. And it isn't taught in primary schools, it isn't mandatory in primary schools at all. And in fact, that's something we're trying to lobby the government about at the moment. But from our perspective, money management and teaching those skills, it isn't the role of one person. There is a old African proverb about bringing up children that says it takes a village to bring up a child. And I think in very much the same way, it takes a village to teach kids money management. So that means government, schools, parents, and industry, particularly financial services, we all need to work together and make sure that everybody, no matter which of the countries they live in, which school they go to, whatever their background, they all have access to financial education from a really young age. And you recently published some research about the economic benefits of prioritising financial education. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, we worked with Development Economics, which is a research consultancy to produce the research. And some of the stats from that were quite amazing. So people who said they did not receive financial education as a child were more likely to be unemployed or earning substantially less than those who did. And I think the stat that knocked me sideways was 40% of them said they had absolutely no savings at all, nothing for that day when the boiler breaks down or the car needs an expensive part. That's frightening that there is that financial resilience is not built in and an understanding of how to achieve that and why it's so important. 
if you look at the other side of the pendulum, people who did receive financial education, 46% more likely to start a business than those who didn't. So if you just take that one stat, that would add 123,000 new jobs to the UK economy every year. And if you then extrapolate that out, it is £7 billion extra in the UK economy every year. Every year, not overall, every year. And uh, another stat, those who did receive financial education are on average £70,000 richer in retirement. Those sort of things, that makes a massive difference to people's life outcomes. Those stats, every time I think about them and trot them out, they are, they're so powerful. Why would you not want to make sure that we were teaching our kids to be confident with money if those are the, the that's the difference in life outcomes that it can make? Those are pretty, pretty incredible numbers. I guess, I mean, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the lessons and stuff in your app, but how has, has Gohenji then been looking to, to tackle this and looking to really in, inspire this amongst young children? Well, I think the first fundamental is whatever you build. So we've built Gohenry and the services and tools and that sit alongside that. Ultimately, kids and teenagers have to want to use it and they have to enjoy using it. Otherwise, they're just not going to engage and parents can want something for their kids as much as they as much as they like but if the kids don't want to do it it becomes redundant so from our perspective i think design is absolutely crucial if it's not fun if it's not visually appealing it will turn kids off so for us we want them to be proud to use their go henry card and app and to be proud to be seen with it in public and talk to their friends about it and we also, as part of that, we believe the most important thing is to empower the children and allow them to learn by doing. That's a phrase I trot out regularly. So what we've tried to create is an environment where they can make mistakes. They can make mistakes in a safe environment with limits that have been set by their parents, free from debt. So we've developed unique parental controls that each parent can adapt to suit their individual child and can adapt as their child grows. And I guess ultimately what we're, the form of education that we're, we're building is practical and it's about experiencing what we call the four pillars of money management. So earning, saving, spending and giving. And what we try very much to do is to create open conversations in, in the home around those four key pillars. Excellent. And obviously that's like benefits for the children as well, but they're also benefits for the parents as well, using the app as well, yeah. right? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so um, on a really practical basis, one of my frustrations before we founded GoHenry was I was using a card because the card was far more convenient for me and it meant I didn't have very much cash. And on a Saturday morning when they used to stand in front of me with their hands out, waiting for their pocket money, I might have a £20 note and three pence, but I didn't have the £4 to give to the younger one and the £5 to give to the older one. And you get into this ridiculous IOU nonsense, or even if I go to an ATM, I'm only going to get notes out. So how does that help me? So on a practical level, you can just set up a weekly pocket money or allowance payment that goes to each of your children. You can set tasks and chores. So again, if I relate that back to my own experience, I should say my two kids are all grown up now, but I had one who 
was very diligent and always did the chores around the house. And another who absolutely did not, never emptied the dishwasher, never walked a dog, you know, just hundred excuses. Why not? So one of the things you can do with Go Henry is set up tasks and chores for your kids. And if you want to add money against them, so they actually have to earn their pocket money. And that worked brilliantly. So it just stopped the battles. As a parent, you constantly find yourself in the role of being the bad guy, telling your kids what they can't do. So I chose for that particular one of my two children to make all of her pocket money dependent on completing the chores that she was expected to help out with around the house. And if she didn't, that was her choice, but she had no pocket money. And it puts sort of shifts the decision into the child's power. And it was up to her. So there were a few weeks, a couple of weeks where she didn't do any of the chores and she didn't have any money. And then she learned very quickly that perhaps maybe she should just do her chores and then she'd be able to go to the cinema with her friend. So yeah, there's lots of things for the parents, little mobile notifications when your younger kids have used a card. So you have a little almost like security check, if you like, what they're up to, where they are, if they're not with you and what they've been spending their money on. So yeah, lots of convenience from a parental perspective. And of course, the knowledge that your kids are learning to use money the modern way. Excellent. And shifting the focus in a little bit to, towards the company itself, then you managed to mm. secure a $55 million funding round earlier in October. Yeah. That's amid a wider global slowdown in fintech funding. So did the current macroeconomic factors impact that in any way? And what do you think made GoHenry stand out to investors to secure that funding amid a, a wider slowdown? Well, when I stood up in front of the company to tell everybody that we'd succeeded in closing that funding round, I used the phrase that it's a testament to the company we've built to date. And I truly believe that. We spend a huge amount of time talking to our customers and non-customers, but specifically talking to our customers and understanding what they want and how they use the product. And I think that pays off. I think that's massively important when your product is a service. And I think that's paid off in that we have grown to the extent that we have grown. I said right at the beginning, we've got well over 2 million customers across the various countries. And we continue to sign up more customers every day and they stay with us and they stay with us as their kids grow from, we operate from six to 18. And you think of the way that that our product has to change for when we're talking to six to eight year olds versus 16 year olds. We have to echo the growth of our customers in the way that our services adapt and are presented. I think it's a testament to what we've built to date and how we listen to our customers. So I'm very proud that we've managed to do that. I'm sure the macroeconomic conditions played into it in some part, but we've found investors and partners who very much supported what we are trying to do and our mission. And I'm delighted with that. Excellent. And you mentioned the PixPay acquisition as well earlier mm. to get that entry into Europe. And you've got plans at the moment to roll that out to Italy as well. Yes. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about then that the planned Italy launch and your European expansion plans with PixPay, both near term and then maybe looking forward as well? Yes, we spent the earlier part of 2022 planning to launch in the European market and looking at 
which countries made the most sense to start with. And uh, in fact, we approached it from a should we build or should we buy perspective. So we had a project running called Buy or Build, and we were looking at both routes. And obviously, as part of that, in part of the buy part of that project, we were looking at the companies that were already live in market across the EU. And when we started to speak to the team at PixPay, we found, I'm going to say kindred spirit. The the founding team think like us. They care about the same things we care about. They're the leaders in France. They are the only company live in Spain, and they have a very clear vision and rollout plan. And we were delighted to be able to come to an agreement and bring them into what is now the Go Henry group. So a really good outcome in the summer. Excellent. And one of the challenges for new digital banks, wherever you are, can be customer acquisition and eventually achieving profitability. So how has the progress been there? Very strong. We've been EBITDA profitable in the UK for some time, a number of years now. And we will continue to pursue that approach. At the moment, we choose to, rather than to seek bottom line profitability, we choose to continue to grow. In the current climate, we will adjust that as we see results coming in. But the intention is to continue to grow, to continue to ensure that our core markets are profitable. Obviously, the growth curve and the profitability of a new launching in a new country is very different from let's say in the UK, where we've now been live for 10 years. And I got told a stat a couple of months ago by our CMO that in the UK, one in five children between the ages of 10 and 12 now has a GoHenry card. When I say our mission is to make every child smart with money, we've not reached every child yet, even in the UK, and we've got a lot further to go in, in some of the other countries that we operate in. Excellent. To, just to finish up and look into the future, I mean, do you have any more uh, developments in the pipeline you can tell us about and what kind of lies <laughs> next for Go, Henry? I always get asked that. We can't, <laughs> I'm not going to share our brand new features that are coming down the track, but I can say reaching more kids and teenagers and their parents is absolutely on the cards and finding more ways in which to improve the services that we've got, listening to our customers and continuing to innovate with the features that they're looking for. Here we are in part three of the podcast. This is our fintech jail. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We'll then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Or of course, our guest can argue to free one of the previously incarcerated terms. So Louise, which buzzword do you want to hand a sentence to this week? I loved being asked this question. I thought it was a great question and didn't have to think for very long before I chose my answer. So my answer is wealth management, just such an exclusive term. We've been talking about financial inclusion and during the earlier part of this podcast. And gosh, wealth management, where do I start? So many of the people working in that space that I've spoken to, and, and I speak to a lot these days, just don't seem to understand how exclusive and I, that terminology is, just how many people think. They hear the term wealth management and they just think, well, that's not for them. 
If I take myself as a place in point, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family who were familiar with financial terms and investing and all of those sort of things. I grew up in a fairly normal family. And it was only a few years ago. I was involved running Go Henry and more involved in the financial services world, but I finally realized what it actually means. Because before that, when I heard that terminology, I just thought, well, don't be ridiculous. I'm not wealthy. So it's not relevant to me. And if we want to include and empower people with their finances, we've got to use accessible language. It isn't wealth management. It's money management. It's financial planning. And by using the word wealth, it just means so many people just dismiss it, not for them. And I'll give you an example. When we launched the GoHenry Junior ISA a year ago, well, in fact, it wasn't even a year ago. It was probably April this year. And the terminology that we use when we're presenting that to parents was something that we considered incredibly carefully using accessible, simple, not dumbing down, but simple language, simple to understand, simple to access, super clear, making it simple to invest for your children's future. That was really important to us. And I think wealth management as a term should be thrown in jail and the key thrown away. Excellent. I mean, I would agree with that in that the sense that particularly before starting my career working in financial services kind of arena, always wealth management always felt like it implied, like you said, that you needed a certain amount of wealth to manage, right? And that amount of wealth would usually be, in my mind, six figures plus right, or something like yes, that. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I think, worth the charge here. I mean, you've mentioned money management there. Would you say that's the better term that you'd start using that? And I guess where would change start there? I mean, I guess it has to come from the companies, right? But they might be quite hesitant to deviate from the, the Welsh one. <laughs> I, think, I, guess. I think there is some movement from some of the companies. I think we've started to see financial well-being as something that big corporates and companies are considering as a service, a, a benefit that they can provide to their staff. And I think when they consider that and do that, they are realizing that it's not for them to only provide it to people who are on six-figure salaries. It has to be for everybody. And yeah, so I would say money management, because even financial planning sounds a bit serious. But if you say money management, it's what are you doing with your pension? Are you getting that you're saving anything? Could you be doing something slightly different? Are you claiming child benefit if you're entitled to it? There's basic things that a little bit of advice that is easy to access and clear to understand can make a difference to people and make fits early enough if that information is provided when they're young, in their 20s, their early days at work, then by the time they're in their 50s, 60s, it's made a huge difference. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you'll get no argument from me there. I think it's, I mean, <laughs> I, I imagine we'll have some wealth managers maybe clambering to come on the show and try and break it back out and for, it's, uh, for, for its worth. But I'm in agreement there that we can put this one into the jail and yeah, we'll see how it goes in there. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Louise for joining me. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and of course on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye.